0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Just, I, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. This is being recorded Monday, and uh, obviously the episode is going to be out Tuesday, and we'll we'll be able to talk about Monday Night Football at the end of the podcast. So if you're interested about what I have to say to the Jets, that'll happen at the end, but a lot more to get to before we even start there, even outside of week one. I know week one always takes the longest, so I'm going to try and just get right into it. Um, but that Sunday night football game with the Giants, good lordy. I mean, what the hell was that? Uh, well, let's do some housekeeping first on other news, and then we can just do football for the rest of the, the podcast. Um, a reminder, if you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using promo code Animal House, you will get 100% match deposit up to $100. The link is in the description of the episode, this podcast episode, as always. You can also find it on our social medias, which will also be linked in the description. So a bit of Mets news. I have an, an inside source, a friend of a friend who says that David Stearns is going to be the next president of the Mets, which has been rumored and linked to the past like week, I would say. Um, but pretty much that's a guarantee. So shout out to the Mets, David Stearns. He was, I believe, the president of baseball operations for the Brewers at one point as well. Um, so I'm gonna go out and said and say, as a report, there's my report. Sources says uh, David Stern's the next president of the Mets. A little bit of news there. And then with the Yankees, I mean, we can't catch a break. Jason Dominguez torn UCL in his right arm. It's a nightmare. I mean, that's just an absolute nightmare. The kid was really, really performing well. He was in the majors for a week, a week, and just lighting it up. And shot down like torn UCL. Obviously, he's not a pitcher. If he was a pitcher, that's, you know, Tommy John surgery on top of a year of recovery. Uh, So, luckily, he's a center fielder. It is in his throwing arm, which is terrible, obviously. Uh, But, passing even said, you know, because he's a, a position player, it might not require surgery, but rehab for that injury is somewhere anywhere between six to eight months so he's gonna miss part of next season um but he's not gonna miss the entire season best case scenario I mean that's what I'm hoping for obviously things can progress and things can happen and I'm not even gonna comment on any of that or possibilities of that but just a really promising September for this kid um and it's just taken away from him with a an injury that doesn't happen often to position players. Uh, I think like Corey Seager is the one; he's one of the most recent guys, position players that that suffered. Obviously, Shohei Otani has it, but he's a pitcher. Um, I think I remember Corey Seager missing a large chunk of time with the Dodgers because he had a UCL tear. Uh, but yeah, just really a, a tough break for the Yankees, and they were playing well. They had a five-game win streak. They actually won. On Sunday, uh, I wasn't watching because football was on, obviously, but they had a, a win Sunday where Corbin Burns threw eight sc- eight hitless innings against them, and they ended up winning in 12 innings on a walk-off hit by Kyle Higashioka. So uh, a bizarre game for them, um, but they had like a little bit of a win streak in there. They were playing really well. And, you know, Dominguez specifically was playing really well. He, he very obviously, the kids that have been playing in this lineup really provided a spark to them. And I don't think any rational Yankees fan was really thinking that they were going to like make a run at the playoffs, but they were playing well and it was fun to see. So for Dominguez to be out now, that's just, that sucks. That really sucks. Moving on, we got, we got to move on. Um, Team USA. So, Team USA failed to medal in the FIBA World Cup for the second t- second time in a row. They didn't medal. 2019, uh, they came in like sixth place, and then they had a chance to medal, get the bronze uh, after losing to Germany in the semifinals. Germany went so Germany went on to after they beat the USA, they went on to beat um, Serbia, actually to win the gold in the FIBA World Cup. Uh, and then, so Serbia gets silver, Germany gets gold, and then the USA and Canada, who a lot of people thought would end up playing each other for the gold medal, they ended up playing for bronze. And Canada won on the back of Shea Gilgis alexander and Dylan Brooks, of all people, bro, to score 39 points against Team USA and win um, Canada's first FIBA medal ever period. So Canadian basketball, we've all known that's been on the up and up and they finally medal here in the FIBA World Cup. USA finishes fourth, the second FIBA World Cup in a row. They did not medal. Embarrassing. And on the back of that, because of that happening um, early Sunday morning, according to the uh, Shams Sharania for The Athletic, he says, sources LeBron James wants to represent Team USA at the 2024 Paris Olympics and is spearheading a group of future Hall of Famers, including Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. And it goes on to say even more, he's trying to get Curry, Durant, Anthony Davis, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, and then separately from LeBron recruiting these guys that he's friends with, um, is also looking to get Damian Lillard. Devin Booker, De'Aaron Fox, and Kyrie Irving to join up with Team USA and play uh, in the 2024 Paris Olympics. So hopefully, I mean, this is what happens, right? Like FIBA, basketball, and there's a reason why, like there's a, a very solid reason why, like, oh, why doesn't the USA just play their best players for the FIBA World Cup? Paul George, uh, Paul George, back in like 2014, I think it was, in a scrimmage, a Team USA scrimmage, compound fractured his leg, his fibula or whatever, and broke through skin. It was it was brutal to watch. And this was during a game that didn't even count. So with with that, that basically ended like any top-tier, high-profile NBA stars from playing in the FIBA tournament. I think Kevin Durant played in that year and we won gold and that was the last time Durant did it. So uh guys just don't I mean like up and coming stars will play in it for the most part or you know B list stars will play in it for the most part but even Team USA like this Team USA team had some problems rebounding um And just defense, honestly, like, we could not stop Germany in that semifinal game. It was, like, they shot the lights out of the ball. They almost shot 60% from the field. They shot 95% from the line, 45%, I think, from three. Like, the splits were crazy good on, like, high-volume stuff, too. Like, they shot 95% from the line. They shot 24 free-throw attempts. Like, it wasn't a bad performance offensively. They just couldn't stop Germany. Like, Germany hit every big shot that they needed to hit. So, With that happening, it always goes that extra step now where it's like the star players, like the cream of the crop of the NBA, American players, where are like, all right, well, when the Olympics come around next year, we got to show out. Uh, So hopefully that happens. College football, week two. Coach Prime beating the brakes off Nebraska. They get, I think, Oregon next week and then USC after that. So a couple of really big challenges for Coach Prime in Colorado coming up in the next few weeks. Texas-Bama was a great game, and Texas is legit this year. Quinn Ewers is legit. He had a couple of bombs against Bama where he, like, he threw it to the sky, threw it to the heavens, and just like a drop in the bucket right into his receiver's hands for two touchdowns. Ah, uh, really impressive throws, but Texas looked good. Bama, it's clear that like they have a slight quarterback issue, um, and they made it a game. Like they, they, it looked like Texas was dominating, but that defense made it a game where they stopped Texas several times in a row and got Bama back into it. But it's clear that when Push comes to shove, and you need like a big play. You need your quarterback to go in and make a big play offensively. It's just not there for Bama this year. Jalen Milroe is, I mean, he's he's physically gifted and he's got a a pretty big arm. He's just not accurate, and he's like he's arguably the best. Not even arguably, I would say he's the the best quarterback. I mean, uh, the best athlete on the field, like just pure athleticism. He's the best one on the he's the, the most athletic guy on the field whenever he steps onto the field. He just is not the most accurate of throwers. You know, 14 of 27, two intercept two touchdowns and two interceptions against Texas. Um, that's just not gonna that's not gonna cut it. And Bama, I think they'll be competitive and they'll beat a lot of teams. And I'm sure they'll beat a couple of ranked teams as well. But I think they might be taking a bit of a step back this year uh, because they lost what three games last year with Bryce young. And now like Milrow is not as good as Bryce young. And you know, I just, I don't, I don't see it. So. A little bit of college football. Let's do the fantasy wrap-up. My fantasy teams, oh my God, what an absolute jumpster fire of week one for fantasy football. So I'm in two leagues with basically all the same guys. There's a couple of differences, but uh, I'm in a dynasty league and I'm in a redraft yearly redraft league. So in the dynasty league, my team actually way overperformed. So I came in dead last in dynasty last year. I think I I, I was... I drafted a horrible team. I drafted a horrible team and I ended up trading a bunch of people away, getting some draft picks. And then, you know, I drafted Bijan with the number one overall pick this year. Overperformed. My team scored 125 points and I still have James Cook tonight. So I did really well. I had Goff, Bijan Robinson, James Cook yet to play. Michael Pittman had a good day. Elijah Moore, Sam Laporta, Luke Musgrave, uh, Rondell Moore, Kadarius Tony. Yikes. Nick Folk got me 18 points, and the Saints defense got me 10, so that was nice. I do have Jordan Love on my bench, so I might have to consider starting him over Goff at some point, but um, my friend's team just completely underperformed as well, and he had Cooper Cup also, who went on the IR, so that's that was a big blow for him, but I'm one know in the Dynasty League, and then in the redraft, talk about like an absolute, this is like the trash bowl week one. My friend scored 81 81- Point five six points. He had Daniel Jones, Pollard, James Conner, Marquise Brown, um, Keenan Allen, Darren Waller, Alexander Madison, and Graham Gano. We got a minus two points. So a lot of Giants guys, which is obviously a nightmare for him. Um, As for me, like Joe Burrow, three points from Joe Burrow. Uh, Akers had 8.9. He had 22 carries, which I love for 29 yards. Kyron Williams. Every time Kyron Williams was in the game, the Rams' offensive line decided to block. Plus, he had two touchdowns, and Cam Akers had one, which saved like a little bit, at least. Jefferson was a beast. DK Metcalf was really good until he decided to like. I mean, the Seahawks' the second half—they had three total yards of offense with like one minute left in, this, in the in the in the game. It was embarrassing. I, I started Isaiah Likely. I, I was debating debating between starting Jawan Johnson. Isaiah Likely or Luke Musgrave, I picked the worst of the three options. Isaiah Likely didn't do anything with Mark Andrews out. Mike Williams got a little banged up. Um, Jason Sanders, though, got me 13 points. Shout out to him. So really, really, really sloppy week one. I have 72 points. I'm down nine points with Brees Hall and the Bills defense against the Jets defense. So I have a chance to win. We'll see what happens there. But just a really disgusting, sloppy week. For fantasy football, so we'll see if I could pull out the double one and zero victory in both my leagues. Uh, Hopefully, I do. But let's let's go into this week NFL Week One. Obviously, Nick Bosa signed a massive contract. Joe Burrow signed a massive contract. We'll touch on those things as we go through the game rundowns. But we'll start off straight out the gate here with Sunday Night Football because we have to. Um. Just a nightmare. I don't think I've ever seen a worse loss for anyone. It's the Cowboys' largest shutout victory in franchise history. Um, I mean, I've seen teams get beat. But week one against your divisional rival at home... 40 to nothing, that's a special type of beatdown. Like that was, and it's not even like, like the Giants have lost to the Cowboys before. And obviously Dak Prescott, I think is 11 and 0 against the Giants. So the last time the Giants won was the last week of this, of the 2021 season, I think. Uh, so a couple years ago, the last week of the season, and it was a back, I think Cooper rush was the quarterback of the, of the Cowboys and the giants beat them at MetLife. Um, and it was like a nice note to end the season on to beat the Cowboys, even though Dak wasn't there, but it was like, it, it's been horrible against Dak. He owns the giants and I could say whatever I want about Dak Prescott. And, you know, I don't think maybe he's that good or. You know, he's had his struggles and yada, yada, yada. He beats the brakes off the Giants every time they play. So what what more? What can I really say in that aspect of it? Um, it's just it's not like the Giants were just ah uh, simply not talented enough to com- to keep compete with the Cowboys. Not only was it that, it was the fact that there were mistakes everywhere. I mean, the offensive line, was traumatized by this, this Dallas defensive line. Micah Parsons, and he, basically every Dallas pass rusher was in the backfield whenever they wanted to be. Um, Daniel Jones had no time to throw, not that he could because it was torrential downpouring in New Jersey. So passing wasn't really an option. Like the the Cowboys put up 40 points, Dak Prescott didn't score a touchdown. Um, so it, it was like, Passing the ball wasn't really an option. The first drive was really promising for the Giants. They ran the ball really effectively. They had a couple of shorter throws, and they got all inside all the way inside like the ten yard line. and then there was a false start. Then there was a botched snap, a low snap, um, from John Michael Schmidt to Daniel Jones that got away. Uh, so and then now suddenly it's like third and forever. And then the field goal attempt is blocked and returned for a touchdown by Dallas. And from there, it was just absolutely chaos. Um, you had a pick six where the ball was caught by Saquon Barkley. He ran to go upfield and it was speared out of his hand, popped into the air and returned for a touchdown by Dallas. Uh Isaiah Hodgins got literally the ball ripped from his hands by Trevon Diggs. Just sloppy turnovers. No one can hang on to the ball. A lot of drops, bad snaps. Um, Daniel Jones got sacked seven times. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. And I think this brings me to my point where I can really encapsulate this for the Giants and for the Cowboys, really. I can talk kill two birds with one stone here. if you're a Giants fan, I wouldn't panic yet. I think, and I, I know there's a lot to be upset about, and there's a lot to look at and be like, wow, we really need to improve if we truly want to compete, which is 100% accurate. But when you look at the totality of the NFC, I think it's pretty clear that the top three teams are the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the 49ers. And you can kind of mix those. I think the Cowboys are very, very much better this year than they were last year. They have a better roster. But um, I think the Eagles are going to be just as just as good, if not slightly worse. But I'm going to peg them to be about just as good on that same length. And the 49ers, I think, are going to be even better than they were last year. Um, but those three teams, in any really order you want, you can argue it, I think are by far and away, in a tier of their own in terms of the NFC. They are cream of the crop, the top three teams, no doubt about it. And then you have the next tier of teams where they're good, and I think they're going to win games, and they're going to compete, but if they get stacked up against one of those other three teams, I just don't think they have a shot. And that is, the Lions are probably the team that, I mean, they just beat the Chiefs without Travis Kelsey, mind you. but it's still the Chiefs. So they beat the Chiefs. A lot of people have uh, have high hopes for them and high expectations for them. I think they're probably at the top of that next level there. So you have the Lions, and then you have, you know, in that same tier, maybe a little bit lower than the Lions, but still in that same tier, you have the Lions, the Seahawks, the Giants, the Rams now, I think, especially when they get Cooper Cup back, if la- if this week one was any indication. Um The Rams are going to be competitive again, and I think a lot of people are going to realize, oh yeah, Matthew Stafford's still good at football. So the Rams, um, the Vikings, I don't know if I said them, the Giants, of course, are in there. Uh, Even Washington, they just missed out on a playoff spot barely last year to Seattle. Uh, So yeah, the Seahawks, the Lions, the Giants, the Rams, the Vikings, and maybe even Washington are in that next Tier of all those guys, all the all those guys, all those teams are going to compete with each other, like they're all in the same competitive range. And I don't think any one of those teams is really necessarily capable of blowing out the other one in a head-to-head matchup. And then you have above them, you have you know the the better teams that are capable of beating the brakes off of any one of those teams below, with the Eagles, the uh. The Niners and the Cowboys, so it's brutal. It's brutal. I think the Giants are still going to win some games. I think they definitely can compete with for a uh, for a playoff spot. Here's my thing: I'm not a guy to be like, "Oh my God, the season's over after one game." I, I I can't be that guy. I won't be that guy, and I never have been that guy. But the Giants play the Cardinals next week. And if you watched a little bit of that game, it wasn't really on red zone or, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't on a lot of people's Sunday ticket screens that much, but Washington and Arizona, Arizona was scrappy. I mean, Washington barely pulled out that win. Um. So if the Giants somehow, some way do not beat the Cardinals next week, the season can basically be be called a failure. Like, I don't want to be that guy. It's such an overreaction. I know, but that is an absolute must win game. Like, get right game, one and one, move forward, forget the Dallas 40 to nothing beat down, move forward and just continue to try and win football games one week at a time. But the Cardinals are not good. And if you don't beat the Cardinals and if you don't look good against the Cardinals, like, you can't have a sloppy win against them. You need to have a Hey, we're really not as bad as we were last week against Dallas. There was they are better than us, Yes, but there also was the weather, sloppy play. Everything went wrong for them. So you have to go against Arizona next week, competent, looking sharp, making good smart plays, be safe with the football, no turnovers. And you have to win that game from the first quarter from the first minute. Of your opening drive to the last minute of your last drive, like you need to be able to convincingly beat the Cardinals to kind of quell everyone's fears that like, hey, it really I know it's the Cardinals, but you won a game in a dominant fashion like you were supposed to. You need that to happen next week. Um and as for the Cowboys, like they're just really good, man. like they're really, really good. and it was it was disgusting to watch what was happening to the Giants last last night. It was it was horrible. I mean, I just, I don't know, man. It, it's, it sucked. It really, really, really sucked. As for Monday night football, like I said, it'll be at the end of the episode. We'll go back here. I mean, the lines, we touched on that briefly Thursday night football, uh, great win for them. 21 to 20 beating the beating Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs is like no small feat. They really gutted it out. Um, David Montgomery got a lot of snaps. I think everyone was kind of expecting Jameer Gibbs to play a little bit more. But when he did get his hands on the ball, you could see just how electric he is. He oozes big play potential, as they say. Um, So I'm just expecting as the season to go on. And as for as him gets more reps, gets more playing time, he's going to be getting, you know, uh a bigger share of those touches with David Montgomery, but Montgomery looked good. He looked good. And the lions looked good. Goff looked good. I'm on Ross St. Brown is still like the real deal stud. Uh, just a really good game for the Detroit lions. I'm happy for them. All right. So let's run down the list. First game on the docket. Texans Ravens 25 to nine Baltimore wins. It was a gross game for Lamar Jackson. Um, Lamar just 17 for 22, 169 yards, and an interception. Not the best game for him. And Zay Flowers looked good, though. Zay Flowers looked really good. And with Lamar, you know, not even a lot of carries. Six carries, 38 yards. Like, the Ravens offense really didn't do much. It was more about just, like, the the Texans offense couldn't do anything. CJ Stroud looked a bit overwhelmed. You know, the Ravens defense is very good. So going up against them as your first test in the NFL's sucks. <laughs> it's kind of a, a bummer, but 25 to nine, not nearly as bad as things could have been. I think the Texans defense played really well. D'Amico Ryans, as thought, was going to get this team to play hard and play tough and play scrappy. And that's exactly what they did. Um, I'm excited to honestly see Houston a lot of the rest of the way and and, and see what kind of improvements they make and how C.J. Stroud develops. But with the Ravens, we could talk about how Lamar didn't really look that good. I think the Texans did a good job of kind of stifling him a little bit because you look at the touchdowns, um, three rushing touchdowns for this Ravens offense. J.K. Dobbins. That's the biggest story coming out of this game. J.K. Dobbins tore his Achilles, and I feel so bad for this dude. I mean, he is—he looked good in the beginning of this game. He runs hard. He—he's fast. Like he—he still got it. Like he's a good running back, and uh, just com- his career has been completely ruined by injuries. So J.K. Dobbins out for the year with a torn Achilles. Tough. Really, really sad stuff, and you know I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. But in terms of his NFL career, I, I just don't know where where it goes from here. Um, Browns, Bengals, Joe Burrow. Of course, he just signed the richest contract in NFL history: five years, two hundred and seventy-five million dollars with two hundred and nineteen guaranteed, surpassing Jalen Hurts. I I think got two hundred fifty-five million dollars. So Joe Burrow, the highest paid player in NFL history, and he goes out there and against the Browns, who is, they are notorious for playing bad against the Browns, goes out there and throws for a whopping 82 yards. Not great. Not great, Joe. It was torrential downpouring in Cleveland for a majority of this game. Deshaun Watson didn't even throw particularly well. 16 of 29 for 154 yards. He threw an interception as well. A touchdown and an interception. But neither offense looked particularly good. But I think the unit that stood out the most was the Bengals offensive line. They got manhandled by Miles Garrett and the rest of that Cleveland front. Completely manhandled. Like they couldn't do anything. Joe Burrow... And Daniel Jones had a lot in common on Sunday, uh, just like could not throw the ball, couldn't get anything going. T. Higgins was targeted like eight times, zero catches. Uh, And him and Burrow were just not on the same page, which is shocking because T. Higgins is usually like his safety net. Jamar Chase is the big play guy and Higgins is the safety net. And just him and Higgins were not on the same page at all. Jamar Chase didn't do anything. Like the Bengals offense was horrible. Couldn't do anything with anyone. Uh, the defense didn't look much better. I just, I don't know how, the, I, th- I think the Bengals are still going to be good. It is alarming though, that they cannot beat the Cleveland Browns. And I know the Browns aren't the same Browns that they were like two, three, four years ago, whatever. Like Deshaun Watson is looking to go back into, into his Texans form of playing high-level football. And, you know, I, they have a, good roster. Cleveland has a good roster, but this is like, like you'd you think that at one point the Brown, uh, the Bengals would just blow the doors off of the Browns and everyone would be like, okay, it's it's really just a fluke. It's not that big of a deal. But at this point, it's a safe, very safe assumption to make that the Browns just have Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals figured out. They just have them figured out, and there's really that's that's all there is to it. There's there's not much more you can do. So, uh, pretty wild to to see this all unfold, but it it, it was a uh, a tough loss for the Bengals. Bucks, Vikings. Um, the Vikings stink. The Vikings stink. Minus five and a half couldn't cover. They lost outright. Uh 20 to 17. What a win for Tampa. What a win for Tampa. I think Baker Mayfield really inspired a lot of troops, which we'll see how long how long of a way that goes in terms of the support he earned after this game, because there were a couple times in this game where the Bucks needed a first down and he put his shoulder down and ran for it trucked guys. He stiff armed someone on the Vikings. I forgot. I think it was a defensive back. I forgot who it was, but just straight stiff arm. And it was, it was nice. He, he put his head down. He got hit, but he got the first down and that happened a couple times with the box. And he really, I mean, he played hard. He played well. and this, this defense definitely played a lot better than I was expecting. Um, You know, Justin Jefferson had a day, nine catches, 150 yards didn't find the end zone. And Kirk Cousins, I mean, this is what Kirk Cousins does. 33 of 44, 344 yards, two DDs and an interception. And you're thinking, yeah, that looks pretty good, but like they, bad turnovers, bad turnover in the red zone. Um, And the Vikings just, when they got inside the red zone, just did not look good. They did not look good. So they, they need to figure it out a little bit. Defensively speaking, they're They're projected probably to be one of the bottom, easily, bottom five defense in the league. Their defense stinks. I mean, outside of Daniil Hunter and Harrison Smith, there's like no one of note on that defense. It's bad. Really, really, really bad. Uh, Mike Evans had a huge touchdown. So Baker ended the day 21 to 34, 173 yards and two touchdowns. But the Bucs, what a win. What a win. A lot a win a lot of people probably weren't expecting, but a, a big win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Saints, Titans, just a grueling game to watch. 16 to 15. The Saints win. Ryan Tannehill looked bad. Three interceptions for Ryan Tannehill. 16 of 34, 198 yards, and three interceptions for Ryan Tannehill. Um Really, really, really bad. He looked he looked freaking horrible. Uh, Derek Carr looked all right. You know, 22, 23, 33, 305 yards, a touchdown and interception. Uh, Chris Olave looked great. Eight catches, 112 yards for Chris Olave. But, uh, yeah, this was kind of like a sloppy game. Turnover. I mean, this game, I think off rip, someone got stripped, right, from the, from the get-go. On the opening kickoff, Amani Hooker stripping Shahid for the ball. Immediate turnover, first play of the season for the Saints, and they ended up winning 16-15. Like I said, very sloppy game. Tough watch, but the Saints pull out the W. Uh, very Derek Carr-esque, if you ask me. The Falcons and the Panthers. Bryce Young becomes the 15th consecutive quarterback, taken number one overall, who has lost in week one. Uh, this was an easy bet for me. Falcons minus three and a half. They went twenty four to ten. Desmond Ritter is not good. Why? I, I, I just I want to say that I do not think Desmond Ritter is good. Fifteen of eighteen for one hundred and fifteen yards and a touchdown. Like basically a non factor. Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier carried this offense. Algier had fifteen carries for seventy five yards and Bijan had ten for fifty six and also six catches for twenty seven yards and his first. NFL touchdown. This guy is electric. Uh, He is like he's shot. He's shot out of a cannon when he accelerates. Um, He runs hard. He runs fast. He's an athlete. Stops and cuts on a dime. Uh, But Algier really, he looked really good running the football. Man, he really did. So the Falcons are really going to be, I think, getting that identity with Bijan and Algier leading the way because Desmond Ritter, I don't think, is really that guy. Drake London had, he had one target, Drake London. One target, zero catches, zero yards. And Kyle Pitts had two catches. It was really tough to watch Desmond Ritter try and throw the football, but they barely even throw the football. Like, he had 18 attempts. So, there's, like, no substance there. At all. It was just brutal. Brutal, brutal to watch. As for the Panthers' offense... Uh, Miles Sanders looked really good. Miles Sanders, a good I think is going to be a good signing for them. He had 72 yards on the ground. Bryce Young, you know, 38 attempts throwing the football, only 146 yards. He threw one touchdown, two interceptions. Both of his interceptions were late reads over the middle and picked off by safeties. So that's just I think comes with experience, and you just got to learn. You know, you can't throw the ball over the middle late because you're either going to get picked off. Or you're gonna leave your receiver out to dry and he's gonna get smashed. So again, comes with experience. I think there's gonna be a big learning curve for Bryce Young. Um physically, like I still think he's talented, although he he looks small. I'll say it. He he does, he looks really small, man. But I again if you're a Panthers fan, you can't really panic about this. Um I think this definitely was a game, though, that you looked at and like, hey, we can beat the Falcons. Uh, Jesse Bates, good signing for Atlanta. And they looked all right. I mean, 24 points with your quarterback barely throwing the football is not too shabby. Uh, and their defense looked all right. Granted, they were playing a rookie quarterback. But Falcons win 24-10 to 10 over the Panthers. Uh, a game that was really sketchy for a while. Jaguars 31, Indianapolis 21. The Colts almost upsetting the Jags in week one. Uh, Anthony Richardson leaves the game in the final drive inside the five. And he later on said, you know, he just had a bruised knee. He's going to be fine. He'll play next week. Don't worry about it. But that is definitely something that, you know, the adrenaline really got to him because he was, when he was running, he was like putting his shoulder down and like finishing his runs. And I know everybody on the Colts coaching staff, Ursa, Colts fans are like, Slide, 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 slide. And Anthony Richardson, as far as I'm concerned, he had the, the best debut of any rookie quarterback, week one. He looked good. And the Colts were the Colts were in this for a while. They had a, a real chance to win and a real chance to cover. It was like plus four and a half, and they lost by 10. They could have covered at the end there, but they didn't. Um, but Anthony Richardson looked good. He looked good. Uh 24 37 223 yards and a touchdown. He also had 10 carries for 40 yards and a touchdown. Michael Pittman didn't do much in the first half, but the second half really good. 8 catches, 97 yards and a long touchdown for Michael Pittman. Uh, as for the Jags, Calvin Ridley not missing a beat. 8 catches, 101 yards and a touchdown for Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence 241 yards and two touchdowns plus an interception. ETN another guy Kind of was like Pittman that mirror image where ETN really didn't do much and then broke off a huge run at the end there for a touchdown. So 18 carries, 77 yards, and a touchdown for Travis ETN. The Jags offense looks pretty good. Um, questionable, some questionable stuff. They really they came out the gate pretty slow, but they really turned it up as the game progressed and ended with 31 points. So can't uh, can't get mad at the results. Jags win 31-21. Niners, Steelers, this is a blowout. Not much to say here. The S- Niners, I mentioned when I was talking about the Giants, are in that tier of NFC teams with the Eagles and Cowboys where not only are they the three best teams in the NFC, they're probably a, they're three of the top six teams in the league. Easily three of the top eight teams of the league. I mean, who else are you going to throw in there? Prior to week one, I'm even saying this, like week one, I'm not going to like kick out the Bengals out of like the top five teams just because of how bad they played, at least not after week one. You know, we'll see how the season unravels, but uh, like the Niners are up there with, they're probably a top three team in all of football. Honestly, in my opinion, I think they are. They're unbelievable. So they go into Pittsburgh and dominate like that defense just was all over Kenny Pickett. Najee Harris couldn't do anything. Pickett couldn't do anything. Um, the, The Steelers offense was just basically non-existent. Brandon Ayuk has arrived. I think he will end up being the number one wide receiver on that team. I don't know what's up with Debo, but it kind of feels like it's going to be Ayuk and McCaffrey leading the way because Debo just had two carries for eight yards and only five for 55 catching. Ayuk had eight catches, 129 yards, and two touchdowns. And McCaffrey had 22 carries for 152 yards and a touchdown, plus 17 on receiving. So McCaffrey just ran all over the Steelers. Ayuk was torching everybody. Brock Purdy also he likes Ayuk like that seems to be his guy, his go-to target. Um, but Purdy looked good, 19 and 29, 220 yards and two touchdowns for Brock Purdy. The Niners just they're a sound, fundamental football team. They crank on all cylinders. Uh, and they just look great. And for the Steelers, you're just not in that class. Um, I think the Steelers can compete with Kenny Pickett and their and their roster that they have. I think they will compete in the North and just in general throughout their schedule. They're going to be a solid team. I don't see them winning more than like nine games. And that's being optimistic. They finished nine and eight. I think that's kind of where they land 10 Possibly is the ceiling, but we'll. See. I think they float more around eight, and nine, nine and eight. Um, yeah. So just you know, take it what you will. This this is just it's your the 49ers. That's a tough week one matchup. Uh Commanders, Cardinals. This game was ugly, but the Cardinals were scrappy, scrappy. They had a real opportunity to win this game, but Sam Howell and the Commanders pull it out and win twenty to sixteen. Uh, They are 1-0. The Cardinals own one. A lot of people obviously expecting the Cardinals to compete for that number one overall pick. Josh Dobbs was the starting quarterback and is probably going to be the starting quarterback. Um, And with them, it's an interesting scenario because I think when you look at where they're kind of projecting Kyler Murray, he can be activated after week four, Kyler Murray. Now, I don't think he's going to play probably till like week eight seven or eight or maybe even nine. I don't I I personally wouldn't play him the entire year, but if the Cardinals manage to scrap out like two or three wins, um they could be, you know, inclined to throw Kyler Murray out there and and see what he can do. But for me, I I mean I would I'd rather not play Kyler Murray all year. And like He has the benefit of still being really young, so I wouldn't really worry about it, but the Cardinals are going to be competing for that number one pick. And it, I guess that really all depends on what they do with Kyler Murray and what they decide to do with Kyler Murray. When he is healthy enough to be considered active or consi- be considered to be activated. Uh, Raiders, Broncos, another gross game, 17-16. to 16. Jimmy G looked pretty bad. I mean, Jimmy G missed a lot of throws. Um, I thought he was going to get knocked out of the game because there was a late hit early on where uh, he, like, went down and, you know, a defender hit him as he was going down. And he – I thought it was maybe, like, a head injury or a concussion or a neck injury or something like that. But he seemed to be all right. He missed a couple plays and then came back, finished the game, no problem. He was 20 of 26, 200 yards. Uh, two touchdowns and an interception, whereas Russ was th- 27 to 34, 177 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Josh Jacobs didn't really look great. The Broncos' run defense was really, really good. And Jacobs, whenever he got the ball, didn't really have anywhere to go. Um, Jacoby Myers was really the standout player here. Like Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams, but uh, Garoppolo and Jacoby Myers were really linking up a, a lot. Myers had nine catches for 81 yards and two touchdowns, Kareem Jackson, the safety or cornerback whatever for uh the Broncos just like uh blowing up Jacoby Myers really late vulnerable like the textbook stuff of what they tell you is illegal now in the NFL. Kareem Jackson did all of that. I don't know why he did that. Um but he destroyed Destroyed Jacoby Myers, who was—I mean, he—he he was holding on to the ball, but he was—he was like unconscious. They zoomed in on his face, and his eyes were like closed, and he was like gripping on to that ball for dear life. He, yeah, concussion. He's out next week. I'm—I'm going to go ahead and say I put it out on a limb. He's going to be out next week. Um, but kind of a gross game, like I said, and I thought Russ looked pretty sharp though. I thought, I mean, his stats wouldn't really indicate that he was, you know, slinging the ball around or looked particularly good in any way. But I thought, I thought he looked all right. I thought, I thought Russ looked pretty good. And you know, we'll we'll see how Sean Payton kind of adjusts to what the Broncos are best at and all that kind of stuff. But I I thought Russ looked pretty spry. He had a lot of zip on the ball. Um, so you know this. Law this week one loss for the Broncos is not nearly as alarming as last year's week one loss to the Seahawks. Uh, I would not panic with this. Um, I think it's definitely a game you probably should have won because I don't think the Raiders are particularly good. But divisional opponent, you know, it happens. like I said, yeah, I, I think the Broncos should be better. And Judy was out, like Jerry Judy's out. Um, you don't you don't have your top receiver. It's it's tough. That's a that's a tough game to win. Um the best game of the evening or the best game of the entire day, really, was Dolphins Chargers. What an absolute slugfest of a game this was. 36 to 34, the Dolphins beat the Chargers. Just a total back and forth roller coaster. I was watching this with my, my close buddy who's a huge Dolphins fan and just the ups and downs that he went through the entire game. Uh, The fumbles early on from Tua on the snaps, he had like two of them. It was a nightmare for him. He thought the Chargers were going to blow him out. And then, like, you know, the Dolphins get a couple stops. They air it out to Tyreek Hill a bunch of times. And Tyreek Hill just had, uh, like, he, if Tua stays healthy next year, Tua's over 4,000 yards, easy. And I think Tyreek Hill gets to 2,000 yards. And he's already off to an unbelievable start. 11 catches for 215 yards and two touchdowns for Tyreek Hill. Just a sensational day. Tua had 466 yards and three touchdowns. He had a couple turnovers, threw a pick, fumbled the ball. Um, just not a little sloppy there in the beginning, but then really got the big guns going. And the Chargers just couldn't do anything about Tyreek Hill. Could not do anything. Waddle had a little bit of a quiet day. He had like 70-something yards, I think, but um, Mike McDaniel came out and said that he was dealing with some pain uh, in his leg, and he he was in and out of the, the lineup in a little bit. He should be fine for next week, but that was something that was kind, he was kind of playing through throughout the day, so it's why I was more really focused on Tyreek Hill. That and the fact that the Chargers couldn't guard him. Uh, but Austin Eckler on the Chargers' side had a great, get, a great day, 16 carries, 117 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Um, and you add in however many receiving yards he had. Let me see real quick. Uh, 47 receiving yards. So a good day, almost 160 yards for Austin Eckler. Um, I think the biggest thing outside of like the Dolphins offense, the most important fact here, the stat, I should say, here in this game is that Taron Armstead. Uh, the Dolphins left tackle did not play in this game. And Tua was sacked zero times with a, a defensive line that con- consists of Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. And you don't have your starting le- ta- left tackle, who is very good, by the way, to not get sacked at all is like such a, a credit and a testament to that offensive line and that group and how well they played. Uh, because despite like a couple of fumbled snaps, those were really on Tua. They weren't really on like the center. Um, that unit, that offensive line unit for the Dolphins, played their asses off and protected him, gave him time to throw, gave time for you know uh, Tyreek and the play to develop downfield, and for Tyreek Hill to get open. And that was really like that was a a game changer. You know that that was really the X factor I think in this game. So with the Chargers, if you're a fan, yeah, that loss stings. Yeah, you really wanted to beat the Dolphins, but the offense looked good. Their offense was just better. That's just the way it was. And there was a point at the end of the game, though, where uh, the Dolphins scored the what should have been a, a, a touchdown where They go up by three points, like an unbelievable back shoulder fade from Tua where it goes literally past the DB's head and over his shoulder, perfectly angled right into the chest of Tyreek Hill for a touchdown. It was you you couldn't draw it up like you literally could not even do that in a video game. It would be impossible. It was an unbelievable throw and catch for the touchdown. And then Jason Sanders went on to miss the extra point. So now it's 36-34 with a chance for the Chargers to drive down the field and get into a game-winning field goal position. And the Dolphins' uh, uh, defense held strong and was able to uh, shut down the Chargers' offense when it mattered most. So Dolphins, huge win for them because that's a tough week one matchup against the Chargers that they could have very easily lost. And they gutted it out, high-profile offensive offenses duking it out, Airing it out, it was really, really fun to watch Um, as some, I mean, I, if you're a Chargers or a Dolphins fan, it was probably the most stressful thing ever, but as someone who was completely unbiased and actually had no money on the game either, I felt all right. It, it was just fun, good, fun football. Um, One thing that I did sweat out was Eagles minus three and a half because they barely beat the Patriots 25 to 20, got out to a quick 16, nothing lead. Um... Pick six on Darius with Darius Slay, and the Eagles looked like they were just going to roll in this game, but the Patriots defense playing their hearts out. What else do you expect from Bill Belichick? Keeping them in this game. Mac Jones making a couple of really big throws, good touchdowns to, I think it was Kendrick Bourne at a couple touchdowns, one that was late, that put them into um, you know, a, a territory where they could win. Just a really hard-fought game from the Patriots. Uh, the weather was really bad there to start, and then kind of cleared up a little bit, but then you know came back and was bad. But Mac Jones played pretty good, um, especially against a really good Eagles defense that you would just expect would hound the Patriots all game. They really didn't. Uh, Mac Jones, thirty-five of fifty-four, three hundred sixteen yards and three touchdowns and an interception. Kendrick Bourne, six catches, sixty-four yards and two touchdowns. Um Jalen Hurt, like the biggest play was really like the Eagles got the ball back after stopping the Patriots 25 to 20. They get to try and run out the clock. They really only need a first down because they're gonna run it out, three timeouts, and the two-minute warning. Jabril Peppers spears with his helmet to the football, knocks it out of Jalen Hurts' hands. Patriots recover. Now they have a chance to go from like the 50 to Uh, go down and score, couldn't do it. uh, And the Eagles defense held up, but oh my God, this was an unnecessary sweat for minus three and a half. (laughs) I thought the Patriots were going to win this game outright. They had a real chance to beat the Eagles week one in Foxborough outright. Crazy, crazy, crazy stressful game. Um, And as an Eagles fan, you're probably like, what the hell happened? But, you know, I think Kendrick, I mean, I think Bill Belichick is really just a great coach. He had a great game plan drawn up to keep his team in it, and they executed well. Just couldn't get it done at the last stretch, the last drive. Ran out of time, ran out of timeouts. It happens. Um, The last two games here on the docket, pretty alarming. Patrick, uh, Packers, Bears, and Ram Seahawks. So Packers, Bears, the Packers dominated 38-20, to 20, and that 20 spot is really generous for the uh. For the Bears because it was, it was not, it was more than an 18 point gap for basically the entire game. Jordan Love looked really good. Um, Romeo Dobbs looked really good. Luke Musgraves looked pretty good as well. So, just the Packers look Aaron Jones, he left the game in the fourth with a little bit of hamstring tightness. You saw him getting worked on on the sideline, trying to get that stretched out. I think he should be fine. It didn't seem to be too serious. I think he might have just been like cramping up a little bit or a tight, have a tight hamstring. So, hopefully. For him and the Packers, it's not that serious. But they looked really good. Jordan Love looked really good. The defense was really good. Like Jair Alexander, DJ Moore was a non-factor. Two catches for DJ Moore. Non-factor. Jair Alexander's a beast. Top five cornerback in the league. Maybe even top three. He's a stud. Has been for years. Packers defense looked really good, like I said. And the Bears. I think people who said the bears are going to take a huge step forward you know mike greenberg on espn is saying that justin fields is going to play at an mvp level this year completely blown out of proportion like way 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 too fast to even crown him doing anything like that like he really didn't throw the football well last year at all he just ran for a ton of yards and was electric to watch, and that Bears offense was really electric to watch, but their defense is still horrible. It's still really, really bad, and it's still going to be a bottom five defense in the league. It's not good, so I think people need to pump their brakes on the Bears. They're still probably going to be pretty bad. Um, I think they might pull out like a couple wins that people might not be expecting but overall i just don't think this is i still don't think this is a very good football team and i think the packers i'm not going to overjudge them i'm not going to say wow jordan love he's you know the next great packers qb they don't have to worry anymore yada 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 however i do think that it is now like they really had the perfect the perfect timeline To draft him, to keep him, to part with Aaron Rodgers, and then to put him in there as a starting quarterback. He looked really comfortable. He looked really comfortable out there. He looked poised. He looked like he really knew, like what he was reading on the field. He looked prepared and physically really comfortable, making these almost Aaron Rodgers esque throws where he was just kind of thrown off his back foot, slinging it downfield. You know, his arm talent is there. You can see it he looked good. He looked good. And I think the Packers are going to are gonna play well this year. I think they, we might look back into more of now looking forward, the Packers and Lions being the two teams that are competing for the NFC North. I don't think the Vikings, I, I don't know. I, I think the Vikings biggest problem is their defense for sure, but their offense didn't look great against the Bucks despite Justin Jefferson having an unbelievable game, they only put up 17 points, which is alarming. Um, So with the Vikings, they're a bit of a question mark for me. You know, you can look at their wins last year and how easily so many of those could have been losses. Um, Down to the wire games, you know, down to the last possession games could have easily been losses. And maybe that catches up to them this year. But the Packers, what I do know is that they have, you know, Christian Watson didn't even play in this game. They put up 38 points. And again, the Bears defense is horrible, but still the offense looked good even without their quote unquote number one wide receiver. I think Romeo Dobbs is exceptional in terms of the young guys that they have. He's good. Romeo Dobbs is good. He's going to be a good player for them. Um, Luke Musgraves is is a good tight end, rookie tight end. Christian Watson, like they have young weapons, plus Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the backfield. Um, Their offensive line is solid. Their defense is exceptional. Like they're a well-constructed team. So really the biggest question mark was Jordan Love. And if he continues to play well, like he did in week one, the Packers aren't going to have much to worry about other than the Lions. But like they could, I mean, you know, this is any indication they're they're in for a, a viable spot for the playoffs. Uh, last game, Ram and then like I said, with the Bears, I, I don't think they're gonna be particularly good. I don't. I, I think the leap that people were expecting them to make is just not gonna be there. And I think it's gonna be more about their defense being really bad than their offense being like incapable, you know? And the last game on the docket Ram Seahawks, here's the only stat you really need to know for this game. And well, obviously we'll talk about it more, but you only really need to know is that the Seahawks had less than 10 yards total offense in the second half. With one minute to go, they popped up a graphic. It was like the Rams had like 270 something yards of offense in the second half. The Seahawks had three yards of total offense in the second half. Really, really, really bad. DK Metcalf making dumb personal foul decisions, you know, decking one of the Rams' defensive backs for no reason, killing a drive. Um, Sloppy, sloppy, sloppy play by the Seahawks in the second half of this game. And that's really what that comes down to. I think in the first half they looked really good. I mean, the Seahawks went into halftime up 13 to 7, and they got outscored 23 to nothing in the second half. So the adjustments that the the Rams made and that defense made were clearly the right ones because they just destroyed the Seahawks in the second half. Aaron Donald felt like he was everywhere. Geno Smith couldn't. Get a pass off. The DBs were locking up the receivers. Um, DK Metcalf, I thought, was really in line for he had the only touchdown on the day for the uh, for the Seahawks, and he cooked his his DB his D back that was guarding him. So I he looked good. I mean, he just he, I think he got frustrated, and and that seems to be a problem with him sometimes. So the the funniest clip that you can come out of this is that. There was a clip where Aaron Donald kind of stunted on the defensive line and they had one guy go to his left and Donald went back and around and came no contact, straight uncovered through the hole to attack Geno Smith. And you can hear Geno Smith, the hot mics pick up and goes, oh my God. And he just throws the ball away. It's the funniest thing that came from uh, week one, funniest soundbite. But the Seahawks definitely a bit concerning with that second half performance. And with the Rams, I mean, look at this box score for the Rams without Cooper Cup, who's on IR. Matthew Stafford, 24-38, 334 yards. He didn't throw for a touchdown, and he didn't turn the ball over. But Kyron Kyron Williams vultured. Uh, I mean, he had 15 carries for 52 yards and two touchdowns. And then Cam Akers had 22 carries for 29 yards and a touchdown. It felt like every time Kyron Williams had the ball, The offensive line actually blocked, but every time Cam Akers got the ball, there was someone meeting him in the backfield. I felt so bad for this guy. I'm glad he always got a touchdown for fantasy purposes. But you look at the receivers, Tutu Atwell, six catches for 119 yards. And Puka Nakua, 10 catches for 119 yards. So those were the big guys um, for the Rams in week one with no Cooper Cup. Matthew Stafford, I think there's going to be a lot of people this year who wake up and realize, wait a second. Matthew Stafford's still really good at football. And if the Rams can come out of this four-week IR period for Cooper Cup, they go into week five, two and three, or they go into week five, two and two, that's a win. Three, Even if they're three and one, and they're, they're off to a great start, they're one and oh. If they're three and one, two and two, going into week five, getting Cooper Cup back, that is a huge W. For the Los Angeles Rams, and like I said, I think Matt Stafford's just going to wake a lot of people up and be like, hey, we're still pretty good. Which brings us to that, like, top teams in the NFC, you have the Eagles going to, I mean, there hasn't been a repeat divisional winner in the NFC East since the Eagles did it in like 2003 to 2004. It's been a different team every single year for the past 20 years. So we're keeping pace with that trend. Let's just say Dallas wins the division. The Eagles get the wild card. Niners win their division. And the Lions win the North. um, And then the NFC South is kind of a dumpster fire. But let's just say the Saints win the NFC South. That is four division winners plus your wild card of the Eagles or Cowboys. And now you're looking at two spots that can really... Link up between any team of the Seahawks, the Giants, the Packers, uh, the Commanders, and I really feel like that's it. I mean that, that the Vikings maybe if you want to throw them in there as well. Those are the teams that are going to be fighting for those last two wild card spots in the NFC. And as for the AFC, it's it's a lot more in depth than that. I mean there are you know seven playoff spots you know, four divisional winners, three wild cards. The AFC is like almost 10 teams deep. Miami, Jacksonville, Cleveland, Vegas, Baltimore, Buffalo, the Jets, the Chargers, the Bengals and Chiefs who are 0-1. Tennessee can compete. Like that's 11 teams that are competing for a playoff spot here, like legitimately competing for a playoff spot here. Where in the NFC, it's more of just like, There are seven spots and probably like nine teams competing. And it just, it feels like the AFC is so much deeper with like three extra teams that are fighting there. It makes it so much more difficult to gauge. Uh, But that was week one and it was a fun week one. It was, it was a bit sloppy. It was a little sloppy. You saw a lot of teams, you know, working out some rust and their offenses looked a little sloppy and there was a lot of bad weather. So there, I mean, you know, Daniel Jones looked horrible in the rain. Joe Burrow looked horrible in the rain. Deshaun Watson didn't look particularly good either, even though the Browns won. Dak Prescott, even though the Cowboys won 40 to nothing, Dak Prescott didn't throw or, you know, didn't throw a touchdown. He didn't score a touchdown. Uh, was mostly running the ball. Tony Pollard had a great game. Um, you know, Dak threw the ball around a bit to CeeDee Lamb and, you know, Brandon Cooks and Michael Gallup, and he had some completions. But for the most part, that Dallas defense was just all over the place. Uh, Just a nightmare for the Giants. And I I don't know why I'm going back into that, but uh, a lot of bad weather, a lot of poor sloppy quarterback play. You know, you had the guys in the rain, then you had the rookies with CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. Anthony Richardson looked the best of the three, in my opinion, and was also playing probably the best team. Jags, Baltimore, those are kind of a toss-up in terms of who you think is going to be better this year, but they're in like the same tier of of teams. So CJ Stroud looked a bit overwhelmed with that Baltimore defense. Anthony Richardson really looked like, you know, he was confident in his throws. He was running the ball. He was really making plays for Indianapolis, and they were in it for basically the entire game. So it- in terms of rookie quarterbacks, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. So you had the rookie quarterbacks, the bad weather for even some of these vets that were just like, look horrible. Um, sloppy play. You saw the Seahawks completely collapse in the second half of their game. Uh, so some offenses looked sloppy. Uh, you know, Denver, Vegas was kind of tough to watch. The Saints and Tennessee was kind of tough to watch. So a lot of games out there, there was really only the Chargers and Dolphins where it was like, Right out the gate, week one, high-profile off- offenses doing what they do, which is score the football. That was the only game that was really like that. Um, and then you had, you know, blowouts and and sloppy close games. It's week one. It happens. You get a little bit of everything. People working out the kinks, building chemistry, who's throwing to who, who's doing this, whatever. How the defenses look, um, head coaches adjusting Mid-game, you know, it, it looks... It's good. It's good. It, it's week one. Um, To end it as a Giants fan here, like I said, Arizona is a must win here. Um, but now I'm going to kick it to myself for Monday Night Football recap. All right, here we are. Monday Night Football, and... um, Wow. I mean... <laughs> what what an eventful night to cap off week 1 really a sensational game with the obvious overhang of the Aaron Rodgers injury which happened four plays into the game uh let's we'll we'll talk about the game briefly not briefly we'll we'll go over the highlights. And then, you know, we got to talk about Aaron Rodgers, of course. That's the main story here, unfortunately. Because the Jets won in an, an unbelievable fashion. Um, You know, they opened the game. It's 9-11. Uh, they have a nice little ceremony in the beginning. Aaron Rodgers running out by himself with the American flag to midfield. Chills up and down my body. It was Incredible opening and just so much hype and excitement in the stadium. You can feel it. This was going to be a great game. And four plays into the Jets' opening possession. uh, Dwayne Brown tries to undercut Leonard Floyd on a block. And Floyd gets past him, tackles Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers' Achilles pops. I'm going to see if I can find the video, but there is a video where it's, it's zoomed in and you can kind of see that like rippling effect on Aaron Rodgers calf. And that's generally how, you know, you, you popped your Achilles. Like that's usually the giveaway. It happened with Durant. I remember seeing it with Durant and, uh, it's that same kind of effect. It's it's a nightmare. I mean, it's a complete nightmare to open up like that. You know, you you have so much potential and so much excitement, and for that to happen is like incredibly brutal. But moving on, we'll we'll get we'll circle back to Rogers' injury. Uh, obviously a huge blow to them. Zach Wilson immediately inserted into the game. And it was rough sailing for him in the beginning. Um, I mean, the saving grace of the Jets is their defense. They forced Josh Allen to throw three interceptions and really bad interceptions by Josh Allen. Really bad, like running across his body, um, two deep, unnecessary deep balls. Honestly, the first interception that he had, I, I really thought it was an arm punt. Like, I thought it's like third and long. He tried to make a play. There was no one open. So he just sent it deep and he got picked off by uh, Jordan Whitehead who had, he had all three interce- all three interceptions, number three. Um, so he picked it off and I thought it was an arm pun because that pins them, the Jets inside the 10 now. So I thought it was like, oh, it's a smart move. But then he had two other really bad picks. Also, obviously, like I just said, also by Jordan Whitehead and it just seemed like the Jets had his number. Like they were in the backfield, they were pressuring him, they were forcing him to make bad throws. He looked very uncomfortable, um, not at all like the Josh Allen we're used to seeing, and not at all like the Josh Allen we're used to seeing. And it was, I mean, credit to the Jets defense. They basically single-handedly kept the, themselves in this game. Like they were like, we're gonna, we're gonna give ourselves a chance to win, um, and. That's really what it was. I mean, the Bills had 13 points, and that was it. Like, they scored those pretty early on, and that's about all they got for the rest of the game. The Jets' defense really, really held strong and gave themselves a chance to win. Um, And the big one, of course, being down 13-3, to Zach Wilson, after a turnover, driving the Jets, and... Garrett Wilson making one of the most sensational catches I've ever seen in my entire life against Tredavious White, basically locked up with him in the corner, the left corner of the end zone near the pylon. Zach Wilson throws a pretty, he throws a good ball. like It's in a good spot, but this effort by Garrett Wilson to catch this ball was unbelievable with one hand to get a hand on it, basically tip the ball up to himself disengage with Tredavious White and be able to have the hand-eye coordination to catch the ball as he's going to the ground for the touchdown to make it 13 to 10 was unbelievable. And then you have the Jets, after I think it was after the third pick by Allen, uh, the Jets able to tie the game with a field goal and then stop the Bills from getting into field goal range. Uh, at the end of the quarter, Josh Allen also had a fumble in this game as well, which was really bad because he fumbled the snap. He picked it up and tried to run, ran into his own lineman, and the ball came right out, and the Jets recovered. So a lot of the the turnovers by Josh Allen were not only bad, but they were in horrific field position for the Bills which means the Jets immediately, I think the Jets for that Garrett Wilson touchdown and then also the game-tying field goal, those came off turnovers that were in Bill's territory and the Jets were able to capitalize. So um, the defense is definitely, I think, as a whole, the MVP of the game. Jordan Whitehead probably, you could say, is the the number one guy there because he had three interceptions. Um, But Josh Allen looked bad, bad decision-making. He looked flustered, not really sure, like, where to go with the ball. He didn't look confident at all. Um, Bad, just bad, bad, bad game by the Bills. A a very, very, very winnable game. I don't know if they kind of took their foot off the gas because Aaron Rodgers was out, and they're like, all right, we got Zach Wilson. We can kind of take our time. But that Jets defense is no joke, dude. You got to play. You got to become ready to play against them. Otherwise, they are going to swarm you and make you uncomfortable and make you make mistakes. That's their whole mo, and they they succeeded with, you know, a guy who's kind of prone to turnovers, especially for like the last the last half of the season last year, and then into the playoffs, and now week one here, prone to turnovers and bad decision making. So, uh, just kudos to the Jets, like they were able to keep themselves in it, and then of course in overtime, the Bills win the coin toss, which you're like, all right, well. The Bills just had the ball to end regulation. They were making a drive down the field. The Jets, in a tense situation, can't let the Bills get in the field goal range. The Jets' defense holds strong, maybe a little gassed. So now the Bills getting another opportunity to immediately try and drive down the field and score and end this game. You're thinking, all right, good chance the Bills win this game here. And what do you know? The Jets defense, not gassed at all. They do not care. Lock down Buffalo's offense. I think they end up going three and out immediately on their on their opening, or their first possession of overtime. They punt the ball. And Xavier Gibson, the undrafted rookie who was, I, I didn't finish hard knocks, but was a hard knocks guy. He was one that people were pointing at, like, is he going to make the team? Is he not? He made the team. He gets this punt return in overtime and takes it to the house to win the game 22 to 13. The Jets, of course, I wish, I wish someone would point this out to me as someone who likes to bet 22 points. The Jets put up 22 points to win on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. Can't make it up. Literally cannot make it up—an overtime punt return win for the New York Jets, and just what what a way to win! Like I, I really felt happy for my Jets fans, knowing like the road ahead. So my friends who are Jets fans, I I was glad. I'm like, if you know, it's it's bittersweet. Obviously, really very much of a sense of like, yeah, you won this battle, but the war is like lost basically because. I mean, what do you do? Do you go out and sign someone? Do you get Zach Wilson? I don't know. But this game, this opening game to win this game in New York on the anniversary of 9-11, by the exact same number of points as many years as it's been, like that's storybook type stuff. And if if Rogers was playing this game and the outcome had been the same. You're talking like Team of Destiny type thing, right? (laughs) That's the storyline that's coming out of this. Is if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, Um, and now it's time to look. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Let's talk about the Bills for a second because the Bills looked bad. Uh, The Bills did not look good at all. I did like what James Cook was was doing running the football. Um, Maybe they should have just ran the ball a little bit more. I don't know because that secondary for the Jets is tough, dude. Like they have. Arguably the best duo of defensive backs in the league. And their safeties are pretty good, too. They got good linebackers, an unbelievable defensive line. Like, their defense at all three levels is exceptional. And I I just, maybe running the ball could have been more effective. I I have no idea, man. But uh, whatever the Bills were doing was not, was not working. I mean, Stefan Diggs had a hundred and something yards and a touchdown, 10 catches for a hundred something yards and a touchdown, but like they only put up 13 points. So what does that really mean? You know, it kind of reminds me of the Vikings as well. The Vikings lost 20 to 17 against the Bucks, but Justin Jefferson had like nine catches for 150 yards. What does that mean? If you're only putting up 17 points, like clearly you're not scoring the football. Um, so with the bills, it's, it seems like they, it was one of those games where they played down to their opponent, no doubt about it, because there's just, I mean, if you ask any person in the world, like, Hey, if hypothetically, you didn't have Aaron Rodgers for this game, do you beat the bills? Do you think you can still beat the bills? I think most jets fans, like there's like a 99% chance people are saying no, even though it's happened before. Right. But still, the odds are not in your favor. The confidence is not there. So to be able to pull out that win, like I am really happy for Zach Wilson. Um, I can't imagine what was going through his mind when all of this was happening. I mean, sitting on the bench, you know, all through he's going through training camp and preseason and all that kind of stuff, knowing he's going to be the backup, trying to absorb things from Aaron Rodgers, learn from him, listen to him, watch him and and you know, take that to heart and try and implement that in his game to be a better quarterback. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe being doing all that kind of would have changed a little bit of things for him. But, you know, there's a lot that that offensive line did not hold up even with him back there. Like he's more mobile than Aaron Rodgers. So he was kind of able to run away quite a few times to buy some time and try and make some plays or then at least throw it away. Um, but he definitely still looked a little, still had that like deer in headlights look. Um, there were a couple times where, I mean, I saw Garrett Wilson wide open and he didn't pass the ball and just tried to step up in the pocket, scramble, make something happen and then ended up just throwing it away. Uh, so he definitely needs some help still. Um, definitely is still a deer in headlights. I'm, I'm pulling for him, man. Like. You talk about basically being forced fed the keys to a franchise. This guy, he like we've seen what he can do. We've seen what what's what's up with him. And now in a in a scenario where he's trying to like grow and just learn and be better fundamentally behind a a great Hall of Fame quarterback. Um And to just have that taken away and be thrusted back into the spotlight that is New York. Like they have a, I don't know if the NFL is going to flex out a lot of the Jets games. They were lined up to have a lot of, quite a bit of primetime games. And now that Aaron Rodgers is gone, I don't know if they try and flex them or are we going to be stuck watching Zach Wilson and the Jets on primetime for a lot of the season? I don't know. That's up to the NFL. Not really sure how scheduling works. Whatever. That's, you know, a, on the back burner. Who cares about that right now? But with Zach Wilson, he's I think he's gonna be the guy. Because I I mean, what QBs are on the market that you can bring in and, and kind of have a little bit more confidence in? There's not many, um, if any at all. You know, so I think with Zach Wilson, it's probably gonna be your guy. And I know a lot of my Jets fans, they were like, I can't do the scam. <laughs> I I can't do another season of this. I can't do it. And I feel so bad. Like, it it really is like a sick joke. It really is. Like, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. The, the torture chamber that these fans are in. And it, it's sad. It's really, really, really sad. You can't even laugh, honestly. Like, even if you're a Jets hater, it's like, laughing at misery can only go on for so long before you finally start to be like, how is this possible? Like, how how does this, how does this keep happening over and over again to the same franchise? How, how is it possible? And there's, I mean, the jets aren't the only franchise that's been through this, you know, Washington's been through this, at least Washington's made the playoffs a little bit, you know, more recently than the jets. So even with their quarterback woes, they're still able to kind of compete in, in that regard. But, Uh, You know, the Browns, too, and they, you know, ideally they kind of figured it out with Deshaun Watson, and they even made the playoffs with Baker Mayfield and won a playoff game with Baker Mayfield. So the Jets are still now in a class of their own. Longest playoff drought in sports. They might actually be tied with the LA Angels in that regard, but still, 12 years it's been since they've been in the playoffs. 12. Uh, I just, I can't believe it, man. I, it's so upsetting and just from like a football perspective i was very much looking forward to watching the jets and you know seeing their week by week progression and talking about them and listening to you know people talk about them and my friends you know i have we have jets and dolphins fans uh or multiple jets and a dolphins fan in one of my group chats with a bunch of my friends and you know, the banter between them is always, from an outside perspective, it's funny to watch. Um, it's it's tough. Like, I, that takes away, it just takes away so much. Like, the momentum and the, the hype and the excitement that was surrounding New York and the Jets fans because of it was really, really, really great. I mean, I just can't believe that happened. Four plays into the season. Um, and I guess now we got to talk, we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers now, but here's something to open up with from, uh, Zach Rosenblatt on Twitter. Aaron Rodgers had expressed to the Jets that coaches, Aaron Rodgers had expressed to the Jets coaches that he doesn't like the play calls involving the cut blocks because he can't extend the play and it forces him to get rid of the ball quickly. Sources tell him and, uh, Diana Rossini the athletic, I guess this is. It failed twice on his four dropbacks. One resulted in a throwaway. On the other, he got injured when Dwayne Brown's cut failed to block Leonard Floyd. So something that he had been concerned about and that he drew concern to the coaches was not taken to heart. They tried to do it anyway. And of course he gets injured. One other funny thing I need to mention before we really dive into the Aaron Rodgers possibilities is Underdog fantasy, we love underdog fantasy here. Obviously, remember sign up to Underdog Fantasy using promo code Animal House. You get 100% match deposit up to $100. Um, they run promos for their pick 'em game, and they did it on Thursday night with Mahomes, and they did it Monday night with Rogers, where it's they have them listed as half a passing yard, and you can choose higher or lower. Obviously, you're meant to choose higher because it's supposed to be like a free pick in your pick'em. It's supposed to be a, a free entry, um, basically a free entry. He went zero for one with zero passing yards. So people, and I know there are people probably on Fanduel and DraftKings or whatever that had parlays involving Aaron Rodgers passing yards. And like, I know there are people out there that had a three or four like. I know there. I don't know people personally, but I know there are people out there who had like a three or like three or four leg parlay and. They all hit except for the Aaron Rodgers like because he got injured on the fourth play of the game. So <laughs> of the drive, like I know there are people out there. It sucks. Gambling stinks. It sucks. And fantasy stinks. Um, Yeah, I lost fantasy, by the way. I remember earlier in the episode I was bragging about this is the next day, but it is Tuesday morning. I'm recording this. So I was saying I have a chance to be 1-0 in both leagues. I was 1-0 in my dynasty league and my redraft. I lost because I had Brees Hall and the Bills defense against the Jets defense and the Jets defense fucking beat me. It was uh, only I can lose in fantasy that way. I swear to God. Uh, Anyway, Aaron Rodgers, let's let's dive into this. Um, He's 39 years old. And he just tore his Achilles. And the thing with him is that he was always a rental. You know. uh, The ceiling was playing two years for the Jets this year and next year. I think what happens this year with the Jets definitely would have depended on if he played next year. Like, let's just say he's healthy for the whole year this year, but things still go horribly wrong. And the Jets win like eight or nine games, 10 games, whatever it is. And they fail to miss the playoffs in a very tough AFC conference. Does Aaron Rodgers come back next year? We don't know. But now you're looking at a completely different beast, right? This is a dude who's 39 years old. He just went through a lot. Like he had already seemed to be mentally exhausted with the Packers. And that's why a change of scenery was really needed. And that's why he wanted to go to the Jets. He wanted to go to New York. He wanted to go to a team with a good uh, a good roster and try and compete. Um, And I just... It's hard for me to see a scenario where he comes back and plays football at all, let alone for the Jets. I mean, like, period. He, the rehab for an Achilles injury is no joke. You can listen to any athlete talk about, any athlete that's torn their Achilles, you can listen to them talk about the rehab. Like, it's it's a lot, it's long, it's grueling, It's it's a tough, 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 tough injury to come back from, and at 39 years old where he's already in the twilight of his career like he's already really made it known that he's only going to be here for like a couple years max and then the jets got to move on um it, like this was a very transparent situ- situation and scenario where you had to capitalize now and to have this serious injury at this age at this stage in his career I think the most likely outcome is that Aaron Rodgers never plays football again. I would be shocked. Like, so the only thing that I'm, I'm really looking at with this in terms of, well, can he come back? Is Aaron Rodgers' mental state? Because he could very well be the type of guy, and I think he might really be that type of guy. I think there is that, that something in him that's like, I can't go out like this. I think all great athletes are like that. Kobe, that happened with Kobe. Like a lot, when he popped his Achilles, I think a lot of people were like, I think he was like 35 or 36 at that point. So a lot of people were like, is Kobe done? Like, does Kobe come back from this Achilles injury? And he did. And I think he played a couple more seasons. So really, it's like, does Aaron Rodgers have that that competitor in him? Because... Normally, I would say yes. But the fact that there were reports that like he's already, you know, X percentage amount retired, like he's basically ready at this point before he got traded to the Jets. He's talking about Green Bay where he's he's basically ready to walk out the door like he's ready to hang it up. He's ready to be done like his words. He's talking about retirement. He's thinking about retirement. And, you know, he got traded to the Jets. New city, new coach, new place, new teammates, like new environment going to try and win it in these next couple years, you know, get to the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl. And there was really like, there was an expiration date, you know, for for him and for the Jets. It was like this two years maximum, this is what you were going to get out of Aaron Rodgers. And to have that just stripped away in four plays and have it be like a, devastating injury if it was like a broken ankle or something like that you know we're we're in a completely different scenario but the fact that it's an Achilles injury that's a tough injury for someone who's about to be 40 years old so i don't think there's anybody in the world that would look at him and be like he doesn't he's not a competitor he's not a real competitor if he chooses to hang it up if he if he chose to hang it up then I think everyone would be like yeah that makes sense he's damn near 40 years old and he just tore his Achilles you know I don't I don't blame him for wa- not wanting to go to rehab to come back for like what one more year of football however the detractors that he would eliminate and the the haters and losers that he would he would cast away basically if he were to rehab for a for however long an Achilles rehab is i'm going to say like at least 10 months 11 months right um and then come back and play one year of football with the New York Jets. I mean, that would be inspirational. <laughs> it would be unbelievable. Um unfortunately, I just think that's that's the the short end of things. I don't I think that is the long shot. I don't think that that's a real possibility. Honestly, sitting here right now the day after this happens, I just don't I don't see it. I really don't. And I hope I'm wrong. I really, really, really hope I'm wrong. Not only for Jets fans, but just for fans of football to see Aaron Rodgers go out like that would be devastating. Just really heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. You don't want to see that from a guy who's, you know, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's an unbelievable talent. He's fun to watch. Like you want him you wanted him in that like New York news cycle you wanted him talking you wanted him playing you wanted to see him and to go out like that to basically just cut it down immediately is so unsatisfying it really is and I would hate that but it's just it feels like that's the most likely outcome and i don't expect any decision like that to be made within the next week or two weeks or even the next month like i really think it's going to be a a, i think it's going to be a while before we hear anything from aaron Rodgers' camp concerning his future with the jets um and we're not even taking into account like dead cap and all that kind of stuff for the jets like the, the financial uh you know, results from from him and him not playing or him possibly retiring. We're not worried about that right now. It's just, is he gonna rehab and is he going to come back and play a year of football for the New York Jets? Does does he want to do that? If that competitive nature in him drives him to that point, so be it. That's awesome. We can cross that bridge when we come to it and be excited for that when we when it comes to that. But For right now, I think it's probably in everyone's best interest to just assume that he's never going to play football again, because that feels like the most likely outcome. And as previously mentioned, who's going to take over the quarterback role for the Jets could very well just be Zach Wilson again. Um, Andy Dalton's a free agent. Uh, I think Jacoby Brissett's a free agent. And uh, if they're not free agents, I'm sure the Jets can just go out and trade for them. But we'll see. Uh, I... So I saw, like, online a lot of people throwing out names out there that the Jets could possibly go get. Um, Andy Dalton, uh, Jacoby Brissett, like classic guys that have been backups for a few years now. And, uh, you know, they're good for a few wins. They're good for a few wins. But I think the most likely scenario is that they just keep Zach Wilson. He knows the offense, whether he can play it efficiently or not he knows the offense uh the team knows him and whether they have confidence in him or not they're they're probably going to be saddled with him for the remainder of the season and you know Garrett wilson was talking to scott van pelt last night about uh during the post game about zach wilson and like how they had confidence in him we we you know we trusted him and he got us there he put us in a position to win and we were able to pull it out and it's just like a confidence booster for everybody. And I'm sure Zach Wilson, like they had a shot at Zach Wilson. He was just kind of staring off at the scoreboard, I think. Um, I don't know what he was staring at. I'm assuming it was a scoreboard, but he was just like looking. And you could tell like there was this sense of like relief and happiness. Like, oh my God, I'm so, I can't believe we won this game. And he needed that. He needed that basically to come in and play the game. And the Jets were in striking distance. Their defense did a phenomenal job. It is no, no question about it that the defense won them this game. But Zach Wilson, you know, especially I think his first drive, he turned the ball over his second or his second drive. He threw an interception over the middle. Like it was, it got all, it was one of the worst starts you probably could have had. And I think everyone in their mother was thinking, here we go again. Like. This is this is it. This is what the cycle we're in now where we got to watch Zach Wilson throw interceptions over the middle of the field for the rest of the season. But um, didn't really make any mistakes after that or costly mistakes after that and was able to keep them in it. And then, you know, he threw a good ball to Garrett Wilson who made a sensational catch and then had him in position where they were able to kick a field goal to tie it and then their special teams got it done. Like, are the Jets going to be able to win every game like that? Absolutely not. Like the offense is going to have to score points at some point, like consistently. So I I don't think that's really the case. But this defense is really what you're expecting. Like hold the opponent between 14 and 21 points and you'll be all right. Like that, those are winnable football games. So you got to expect that that's going to be somewhat of the game plan, you know, lean heavy on the defense and then try and just put some points on the board with Zach Wilson. I I can't say I'm confident in him being like the quarterback for the Jets for the rest of the season, but I am certainly rooting for him. I mean, I want I want Zach Wilson to succeed really really badly. Like and I've never held stakes or you know, high stock in the Jets. I usually am completely indifferent to whether they they are winning or losing, but I'm rooting for Zach Wilson. I really, really, really am. I, I hope he succeeds and I hope the Jets play well. But what a crazy Monday night football game. Again, the Aaron Rodgers, four plays in and tearing his Achilles, popping his Achilles, Zach Wilson coming in. The Jets stay in it and they end up winning in overtime on a punt return touchdown by Xavier Gibson. 22 to 13, the final score. What a way to cap off week one, a crazy up and down week one. We had sloppy games, we had shootouts, and we had last second victories in overtime. Crazy, just a, a sensational opening week of football. Very excited for week two. Um, and we'll see what happens with the Jets and and the Giants. I mean, what a just, you talk about this, the differences between New York teams playing at MetLife on Sunday night and Monday night. Just God almighty. So that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a great rest of your week. Tuesday, oh, Tuesday or Thursday, Thursday night football. Uh, TikTok is in the description. The link is in the description. I will be posting my gambling picks on tiktok won't really be doing on the podcast because it's once a week it's kind of hard to do that once a week when the lines are changing and all that kind of stuff so i will be posting my picks on tiktok but thursday night football sunday and um my monday i had like a three-leg parlay monday the only thing i needed one more garrett wilson catch for my parlay to hit last night and it didn't um so i'll be posting my picks on tiktok you can follow me there um at from my point of view pod and then also on instagram of course at from my point of view pod like i said Links are in the description of the podcast episode. So thank you all for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. and I'll talk to you all next Tuesday.